This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we focus on the big stories making the business and market headlines with Oanda senior market analysts from around the world. Well, our man in London, Craig Earlham, is on a well-deserved leave. So this week I'm joined by Oanda senior market analyst in Toronto, Alfonso Esparza. How are you doing, Alfonso? Hello, hi, Johnny. Great to be here. Excellent to hear from you again. Let's first reflect on Friday's US jobs figures. The American economy created the lowest number of jobs for a year and a half in February, coming in well below forecasts. It's the slowest since September 2017. And if you recall, that was uh, during uh, hurricane season. Surely this has put pay to any thoughts of a rate rise this year. Indeed, what effect has that had on the dollar? It was a massive uh, miss. It's one of those things where it's positive and negative, and there's also a lot of external factors to the data. So the month was not a normal month. We have sort of the government shutdown. There's a lot of of weather effects. And as you mentioned before, that has a big effect on what the jobs report uh, happens every month. The dollar is right now lower against all major currencies except one, and that one is the pound. And I think we'll get to why that is in sort of the next segment. But for now, the dollar is slipping against most major currencies, uh, a major miss, but very understandable given sort of the geopolitical or the the macro situation in the States. The government shutdown had a bit effect. And also there's like a you cannot expect the, the benchmark to be beat every month. So I think the wages and that component was good. So we're saying that the inflation pressures are still there, maybe not uh, putting uh, the screws on the Fed, but the Fed still has an argument for rate hikes later than the in the year. So right now that that's sort of that combination. So if we see on a weekly basis, the dollar is still very strong. I think it's still against most major currencies. The yen is a standout because of its safe haven status. But otherwise, the dollar is still king uh, on a weekly basis. And those figures, what proportion is down to the government shutdown and slowing of economic growth generally? I think there's a bit of uh, both arguments can be made here. Uh, so the big uh, miss was on the private payroll. So it's, it was not government payroll. So it shouldn't have been uh, sort of uh, intense. But as we know, there's a lot of uh, interconnectivity between sort of the government and private contractors. So I think that is what we're starting to see that uh, come to more to the fore. So that was the biggest event during the season. So of course, it's going to have an impact. Maybe it was a bit uh, underestimated by analysts saying that it was only going to take maybe 20 to 30,000 jobs out of the equation. And we've seen almost 150,000 less than expected. But again, it could be tied to that. And it's going to be a couple of months till we actually get to see the whole infrastructure till we see that if if we were right on that one. Because all the revisions uh, prior actually were upward revisions. The net non-farm payrolls was actually revised from 304,000 to 311,000. So the economy was not just suddenly there's a crater. And I think what we're seeing is if, it, if there was a crater, it, it probably had something to do with the government shutdown more than anything else. It's not been the best of few weeks for Donald Trump, has it? And this is more bad news for him, really, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think uh, the government is trying to find the silver lining in the report. So again, they're sticking to oh, the wages are higher. Even though they were at the heart of the government shutdown, they're basically blaming the government shutdown plus some weather effects 
for the disappointing report. Let's go to Europe now. And of course, it is a massive week coming up for Brexit. But I just wanted to touch on the ECB growth forecasts, which were cut a few days back. It's changed its forward guidance, saying that a rate hike is not now likely until 2020. And you mentioned earlier that the dollar is only weaker against the pound. But actually, for sterling, it's been reasonable weak against the euro, hasn't it, because of that ECB news? Yes. And and this is something that we've seen and it was heavily expected that uh, the ECB was going to come out more, even more dovish than in the previous uh, meetings. And the reason for that is growth. Uh, we've, we've seen uh, in the States, we still see sort of the engines of growth. Maybe there's a bit of a sputtering or like false starts, but overall there's momentum. Uh, when we look at Europe, we don't see that. Uh, we see Germany starting to sort of falling down in terms of uh, manufacturing uh, even confidence in the PMIs, everything is, is pointing to a bit more uh, concerns. And if the the engine of growth in Europe is starting to sputter, then we'll see that uh, going forward, it's going to be challenging. The ECB, of course, is now cutting the forecast. Uh, it was always a bit of a long shot that uh, the second half of this year was going to we was going to was going to show the first rate hike in Europe. But now it's pro- it's definitely off the table. And even though the bets were all against them, we have geopolitical issues, we have uh, issues like the mixed economic reports. But overall, we see that the U.S. economy, it is outperforming others around the world. As I mentioned earlier, we have a big week for Brexit and for the United Kingdom coming up. Meaningful vote too, they're calling it. This vote is surely set to determine whether the Brexit deadline will be extended. What are markets betting on at the moment? I think it is very even. There is a correlation between how much time is left to the deadline to how much uh, there's this uncertainty of what's going to happen, given that the leverage from a short deadline is not there here yet. I think this will be the first test of how all the groups try to use or maneuver to get what they want. And just basically seeing the cliff will make them come to the table with and accept others. So at this point, we're still almost in square one in terms of the options available. So we have soft Brexit versus hard Brexit. It all comes down to the specifics of what does each camp mean when they say it's soft and, or hard. So I think uh, no one wants a no deal, but no deal might be a possibility if the soft deal is not acceptable. And so what we're seeing there right now is like it's almost... Uh, even between the two, based on what has happened before, the failure of Theresa May to get the parliament on her side, we'll see that her strategy is to force people to see the cliff. So to point out that there is a cliff, and if there's not an agreement, we will go off the cliff. Right now, I think that's starting to sink in, but there's still time for a bit of uh, back and forth, and I think all the MPs will, will use it to the end. It's a huge week, and we still have... A lot of uncertainty because it's it's so even. It's like it's so it, it changes all the time, and everybody's going to be glued to uh, headlines, newspaper reports, just to see what's what's going to happen or who's up again. The odds are constantly changing. It's in the EU's power to help the United Kingdom, and particularly when it comes to the backstop. And you do think that perhaps some of the German car manufacturers, their leaders, leaders of BMW, Mercedes. VW, 
would be putting Angela Merkel under pressure to get a deal agreed because they're already in flux at the moment with the problems with diesel, uh, the Chinese economy on the down, and that has affected car sales. Surely they don't want a no-deal Brexit. Surely those people want to help the United Kingdom reach a deal, and surely this is going to get through to Angela Merkel and, by proxy, the EU. I think you're totally on, on the spot uh, regarding pressure from sort of the manufacturing sector. Uh, there is a lot of uh, interconnectivity between the two regions. So it, that would definitely be devastated if there's a, a no deal exit. You also forget uh, the tariffs, uh, the upcoming tariffs from the U.S. as uh, targeting European manufacturers. So, of course, they want more friends less than uh, enemies. So they will definitely be putting pressure on leaders. The EU has shown some flexibility, I think, in terms of the timelines. They're flexible to a degree. I think the, the biggest roadblock there is the parliamentary elections. So it basically they, they don't want to punt this to a new parliament. So the current parliament ends and before the new one begins. So we're talking about the beginning of July. I think that's as far as the EU can go. Now the question is, is that enough for Theresa May to get a deal? Okay, set to be a very, very interesting and fascinating next few days. And I'm looking forward to speaking uh, to Craig again next week. Let's talk about the Bank of Japan, Alfonso. Uh, they have a policy meeting, and uh, that's another highlight for traders in the coming week. Are investors anticipating any change in policy by the bank? I mean, we've got inflation confined just below 1%, so I wouldn't imagine there would be a change, would there? No, I think the, the policy would remain the same, uh, QE, and we've seen the Bank of Japan is one of those central banks that has thrown literally the book, the monetary policy handbook at the markets, just bond buying, stock buying, stimulus, whatever it can. And it, we've shown that it, it hasn't really worked to the degree that they've expected. We've started to see that uh, they're just going to keep doing it for as long as it takes. Uh, political pressure has eased somewhat. They're not in the spotlight as much. I think even now uh, political leaders understand that it, it's it's the bigger macro picture that is way beyond um, their scope. The change that we're expecting, it's a bit on the guidance. I think the, the language used will be, again, more dovish, uh, in line with what the ECB did earlier this week, the Bank of Canada, the Reserve Bank of, uh, of Australia. So we'll see that that, do that dovish trend will continue in among central bankers, because honestly, there's there's little to be excited about at this point in time uh, with sort of the trade war still between U.S. and China still not fully uh, agreed to or ended. So we'll see that still ongoing. We have Brexit, uh, we discussed so all the major impacts across the globe, especially uh, and regarding trade. And it's not only trade between the Europe and the U.K., but also the global implications of that. So there's there's a lot of like big macro events that are risk events uh, ongoing so no central bank is really feeling confident about the regional economies they're all seeing sort of those headwinds start to pick up speed and right now that also explains why the yen is uh, so strong so there's nothing really that the bank of japan can do to dissuade people to get away from the yen people are going to flock to it because it's one of the traditional safe havens uh, in times of uncertainty Definitely continuing to be driven mostly by dollar moves and by those safe haven flows. As you mentioned, the yen, it's strange in a way that it's such a safe haven when you consider how poor the Japanese economy has been over the last couple of decades. And it, it's funny when that happens because it's uncertainty that begets volatility. 
And when you have high volatility, you want stability. And so, yes, Japan might not have grown and is sort of stuck in this stagnation cycle, but is stable. So I think that's what investors really flock to, that stability, that uh, the size of the economy, they're still large in terms of the amount of reserves that they hold. So they've made themselves a bet for safety. So whenever something out of the ordinary happens, usually people flock to the yen. It's interesting. Maybe it's a lesson in life, Alfonso. It's okay to be poor as long as you're stable. Yes, I mean, as long as you're reliable. So it's just, again, you don't have to be a standout or make a lot of noise yeah. uh, or, or huge mistakes. You're just like, yeah, reliable. Steady as she goes, as they say. Correct. Which you can definitely not say about what's been going on in the United Kingdom over the last two or three years. No, and I mean, what's happening politically, economically, it's all interlinked. One of the asset classes that, uh, it, funny enough, it's having a revival because of that. It's gold as a safe haven. So... Physical demand for gold was falling, uh, let's say, a, a couple of years back. And now we've seen that thanks to those like, major events, it's back in investors' portfolios. It's one way to sort of offset uh, some of this volatility. Uh, we've, we're starting to see that come back. We, we start to see central banks get into it again. Yeah, a flight to safety is definitely uh, when things go a bit pear shape. People look for that stability. Okay, Alfonso, have a very good week, and we look forward to speaking to you again shortly. Thanks, Johnny. Have a good week. was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am, listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.